Sovereign Grace Chapel, located at 135 Annabelle Lane in Beaver, West Virginia, invites you to listen to a gospel message concerning Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. God willing, I will wind up this chapter this morning and then week after next because we will be gone, depending I will be not, not be here next Sunday. We will start with chapter 5. And I know I have dealt with these verses somewhat on and off on a few occasions, but I want to read Romans 4 verses 22 through 25. I'm kind of coming in the middle of the context, of course. But I think everyone here and those who are normally with us live stream will remember the context. Verse 22, and therefore it, that is his faith, Abraham's faith, his believing God. Therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now this imputation was an imputation of God. Therefore it stands in God's court. Therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses, and was raised again for our justification. Paul the Apostle, our beloved brother, having described the kind of faith God graciously gives, and that's what he lets us know in verse 16, therefore it is a faith that it might be by grace. It is not the other way around. Men do not come up with faith and God gives them grace. This was what I was taught most all of my life from my infancy throughout Sunday schools and revivals and preaching is if you'll come up with faith, if you'll exercise faith, then God will give you grace. And that is the proverbial putting the cart before the horse. Maybe even worse, it is maybe trying to have the cart without the horse. (laughs) Paul having described the kind of faith God graciously gives and the kind of faith which God imputes for righteousness. He said that over and over here, right? This kind of faith. That God imputes for righteousness. In other words, this faith, this faith, and this is my title and subject, this kind of faith only, this kind of faith only, there is a faith that is of no value. James makes it clear. He said there's a faith that has no works with it, no effort with it, no obedience with it, and it's dead faith. In other words, it is not a flesh faith. We looked at that. What shall we say that Abraham our father is pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified, and notice he doesn't say by flesh, though he still includes it, by works. Because flesh works, faith, this faith has nothing to do with the effort of the flesh. It is not a flesh faith, nor is it a human works faith. Nor is it a God-indebting faith. 
Paul kind of mentions this kind of thing, or at least alludes to it. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace but of debt, but God owes no man any debt other than the debt of sin, those wages. So it is not a flesh faith. It is not a human works faith, nor is it in God indebting faith, nor is it a law faith. It's not a law faith. This kind of faith is a grace faith. It is a God-believing faith. It is a God, God's promise-believing faith. It is a faith that believes in and trusts and is fully persuaded that what God has promised, God is able to perform. It is a faith that in, in, in spite of a hopeless situation, it trusts that God is its hope. God will fulfill his word. It is that kind of faith that gives God the glory. It gives God the glory. In other words, as I said, it is this kind of faith only. And therefore, it, that is this kind of faith, this kind of faith was imputed to Abraham for righteousness. That's what we read. And therefore, it was imputed to him, a singular individual. Now, there were others. Sarah believed. Ishmael later believed. Others believed. But it says, therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Therefore, it, this kind of faith was imputed to Abraham for righteousness. But then Paul clearly declares this blessing, this very Abrahamic blessing, to be ours as well. Abraham was no better a man than you and I are better a man or a woman. Abraham was a sinner saved by the grace of God just like we are. Abraham was in the midst of idolatry and degradation and God Almighty called him out of that into a new way of life. And that life was a life of faith. But that life also had a walk of faith. Now, I know, I know we believe this. I, I know we understand it, but I don't think we rest in it like we should. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also. To whom it shall be imputed, what does it say? If we believe. Hmm. As it is an amazing thing. If we believe God, if we believe God, that's the key here. But notice Paul then definitely puts in this caveat. He's described this kind of faith. All the way through this, right? It's not a flesh faith. It's not a works faith. It's not a God-indebting faith. It's not a faith based upon law. Abraham had this faith before he was even circumcised and before the law was even given. So, And you go on down the line, but then now he brings in this final caveat, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, this is the kind of faith we must have. 
This is the only kind of faith wherein God imputes it as righteousness. Who? That is this Lord Jesus Christ, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Now let's consider the details. That is the details of these <coughs> last few phrases. I will deal with some phrases and I will deal with some words in particular, but I want us to see this kind of faith and this kind of faith only is the kind of faith by which God imputes righteousness. The phrases are this. <coughs> I've broken them down into five different phrases, but I'll give them to you. Number one, then we'll go back and look at them. If we believe on him, and that's what it says, if we believe on him, number two, that raised up, from the dead. You see it? That raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. That's the second one. The third one is this. That raised up Jesus our Lord. You see that? That's the third one. Then here's the fourth one. Who was delivered for our offenses. And here's the fifth one. And who was raised again for our justification. Sadly, it is sad that I must say this, but sadly, most who profess to be Christians today, I am afraid, I, I fear, because I was in the midst of false religion, that anti-Christ, God-hating, Christ-hating religion at one time. Most people believe they're saved because they believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what they're told to do. Come forward, pray this prayer. Tell God I'm a sinner. God be merciful to me, the sinner. That's all true. And then they're told, believe that Jesus died, buried, and rose again. Maybe even ascended to the Father's right hand. And they are told they are saved. But that is nothing more than historical facts. We are talking about here about God, we are to believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who, that is this Jesus, was delivered for our offenses. He did something. He accomplished something. He actually did the Father's will. Now either the Father willed that all men be saved by Jesus, if they will then do something for Jesus, or he willed that God would save a people by Jesus and make them willing in the day of his power. Amen. The second is the truth. So let's look at these phrases. If we believe on him. Now let's think about this. Some of this may seem to be simplistic, but Earl Cochran once told me years ago, he said, Walter, you've got to try to remember to preach to people as if they don't understand and have never heard what you've said before. Because when you think they already understand what you're saying, you'll pass over some of the most important, simple aspects of the gospel. And that has been clearly evidenced in the past month or so. That a person could be around the gospel for over 40 years and claim to believe the gospel and then turn their back on that gospel. Clearly, I am not preaching any gospel different than what I preach from the get-go. Now let's drop that right there. If we believe on him, this is a singular God. We do not get to pick out what God we want. Amen. 
It is, he is, no, it ain't the right word. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the almighty, sovereign creator of heaven and earth. And he controls all of humanity under his sovereign pleasure and can do with them as he will. Some he can show mercy. Some he can have compassion upon. Others he can harden. It's his prerogative. If we believe on him, a singular God, the God that raised up. Do you see it? The God that raised up. An actual, active powerful God do you see that an actual active powerful God yea the scriptures call him this the almighty God right so break that down quickly this is not hard like I said this is simple stuff but yet beyond the pale of unregenerate man's grasp and love God almighty That means all might resides in him. There is no might anywhere else. Any other might that may reside somewhere else, it had to come from his sovereign prerogative. Isn't that just simple old understanding? If he's the almighty, no other might exist other than under his sovereign power. And our Lord illustrated this with even Pilate himself. You would have no power over me except heaven above. God Almighty, except the Father, give it to you. And he illustrated before that even took place when the mob came with Judas's betraying kiss and they said, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, and I don't, Mac, I don't think it sounded any different than his normal voice, but he said, I am, and they fell down backwards. And he went on to even prove his power there. He said, if you take me, you can't have these 11. Well, who was he to be dictating to the mob? He's almighty God. (laughs) And guess what? They didn't take the 11. Why? Because he bowed to the will of the Father, and yet at the same time was in sovereign control of evil, rebellious, wicked men's hearts. If we believe on him, it is this kind of faith only. I don't believe in a sovereign God, then you don't believe on him. You don't believe on him. The next phrase is, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord, from the dead. Now I'd realize there's much we could say about this, and I would have been more in tune with this religious world at large had I preached this last Sunday on the Resurrection Sunday. But we don't know if it's the Resurrection Sunday or not. I figure the the probably the Eastern Orthodox Church is probably closer to the Resurrection Sunday than what the Roman Church is, but be that as it may, we're not here to worship a day, we're here to worship him. Him, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, we must believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus our Lord. 
And Paul says it this way. It's this kind of faith and this kind of faith only. I'm not even going to turn back to it, but Paul makes it clear to his letter to Corinth in the first letter, 1 Corinthians 15, if there is no bodily resurrection, then Jesus Christ was not raised. And if he was not raised, what we're preaching is a lie. And somebody says that's too simple. If you think it's really that simple, go ahead and try to get the world to believe that. I mean, they've come up with all kinds of theories. And I'm not going to even deal with that. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. But here is the third one. That raised up Jesus, our Lord. First of all, he is Jesus. And I'm not going to, I'm not, this, this is like I told you about this songbook. I'm not trying to put which is the best order. you got to have both. Jesus, our Lord, he's got to be both or he's not the Christ of God. Amen. And it's not which one's most important. They're both absolutely vital. And the water and the blood or the blood and the water were both absolutely vital because God included them both in the inspired word. So away with all of these men argued. You know what? Because they think they're saved because of what they understand. Their, their salvation, their, their, their feeling of salvation, their stand of salvation is based upon what they know. And if they can prove from the scripture what they know is better than you, then at least they're more assured of themselves than they are of you. And eventually it'll come to the point where they will call you a heretic. You don't have to call them one. <laughs> you can try to fellowship and love and just keep on loving, but they will finally turn on the truth because it's not truth they're seeking after, but just facts. Just facts. If we believe, if we believe, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord from the dead. So now we're on number three that raised up Jesus, our Lord. His humanity is absolutely vital. I'm just going to read just, just one verse in a very short uh, passage. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is, and most of you have been taught this before, there are rarely any places where an, an a or an an is used in the Greek. And I went back and looked. This is a the. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. That's how strongly this man, the apostle John, felt about this thing of denying Jesus Christ's actual humanity. <coughs> but there are also those who, they believe in his full humanity but they do not believe in his full deity. Jesus our Lord. You see it? This is one thing that just totally stumped some of the hierarchy amongst the Jews. When our Lord said, well, where did, where did the Christ come from? They said, well, he could be born in Bethlehem. Well, whose son is he? He's going to be the son of David. They were looking for the son of David, the Christ to come. These people believed the Messiah was coming. They weren't some heathen out there worshiping anything and everything. But then he asked this question, well, 
If he's David's son, why does David then call him Lord? And it just stumped the bejesus out of him. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. So it's Jesus our Lord. In other words, Jesus is God Almighty manifest in the flesh. Simple and yet impossible for the unregenerate to believe and to love. But he uses another word here. And I've seen this and it just, we say it jumped out at me. I thank God to open my eyes. Jesus, our Lord. You see that? Notice he didn't say Jesus. We're talking about this kind of faith and this kind of faith only. There are a lot of people who believe in Jesus, the Lord. But he's not Jesus, my Lord. You see what I'm saying now? Paul could have wrote Jesus our or Jesus the Lord and would have been completely true and stated it. But he's talking about, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we now most people try to emphasize if we believe, just if we believe. And everything's based on if we believe. Well, this is a if we believe. Don't you get that wrong? But you got to believe a certain person and you got to believe a certain way. You got to believe certain things about that person. That's what he's saying. Jesus, our Lord. In other words, this is personal. God Almighty brings every individual that he saves to see Jesus as his or her Lord. But he uses the word our. So our is an inclusive word, right? Now, not everybody's Lord, though he is Lord of all. But that's not what he's talking about here. You see it? Jesus, our Lord. And I thought about the word. I've read it. I've used it. It's, it's a fine word. And men say, well, this, <coughs> this is collectively. It's Jesus, our Lord. And it's certainly true. Or, or corporately, it's Jesus, our. It's all the body of Christ. It's all believers. And that's true. But here's a word I like better. It is familial. You know what familial is? having to do with the family. That's what he's talking about. It is Jesus, our Lord. We are owned by him, and he is owned by us. He's, he's a, we've laid hold of him by grace. And we, like Jacob, our brother, cry out, I will not let you go to you bless me. Hmm. That raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. My beloved brothers and sisters, it is this kind of faith and it is this kind of faith only. You're going to be a part of God's people or you are not one of God's people. Amen. You will be, you will love believing the same gospel that God's people believe or you don't believe the gospel. And there ain't just one or two of them out there on the internet talking with one another and amen in one another. They are groups of people that are faulty and sinful and don't know it all and don't understand it all, but they know this. They know this. They believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. They all believe that. They all believe him. 
So we have, if we believe on him, that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. But here's number four. Who was delivered for our offenses. Now first of all, let me say it is for our offenses, not our mistakes. Now there is no question that our offenses are mistakes. But they're more than mistakes. You see, sin is not messing up. Sin is actual rebellion against God. That's what it is. To sin against the law is actual rebellion against God. The law, even for believers today, still tells us what sin is. Does it not? Because God saved me doesn't mean I've got the right now not to love my neighbor as myself. In spite of the fact that I can't love my neighbor as myself. But I'm still supposed to love my neighbor as myself. But bless God when he saves you, at least you do love your neighbor. <laughs> hmm? That's right. And I've said this before. Some people just don't get it. I pray you get it here. The law says thou shalt not steal. And if you ever steal one thing, no matter how small and misdemeanor, or how large and felonious it is, in God's sight, it's still theft. Thou shalt not steal. But every one of us has stolen something somewhere along the line. And it don't have to be a thing. It can be a thought or an idea. Or somebody else, you know, two people are working together at work and you try to take all the credit for it. Ain't nobody ever done that, have they? The law says thou shalt not steal, and there is no reprieve for that. Once you're, what you've stolen, and I'm talking about this, you actually steal something, you are guilty of breaking the whole law. Because if you'll steal something, you'll steal a man's wife. If you steal a man's wife, then you'll bear false witness against him. And if you bear false witness again, you certainly don't love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You know what grace comes along and says? Anybody remember what grace says? It's in the New Testament. You've been reading your Bible? No, you're just afraid to say, ain't you? Let him that stole steal no more. Like, I, just, I remember Tim James just has an uncanny way of saying things. At least for me, uh, you know, uh, at least for me. He said, like he told that woman caught in a very act of adultery, he said, now, neither do I condemn you. Now quit that horn. Isn't that what he was telling her? Neither do I condemn that go and sin no more. Quit doing this. Somebody says, I can't. You can if God Almighty's in you. You can if God Almighty, because if you can't, then God Almighty ain't in you. And Paul ain't got to all that yet, but he's going to get there. He's going to get there. Who was delivered for our offenses. They are actually offenses. They are things, and we... I try to preach it. I try to believe it. I know you try to hear it. You try to believe it. We don't really understand how corrupt we are in God's sight. The real stench that fallen humanity is in God's sight. He is said to be so holy that he cannot look upon evil and sin. But he was delivered. That is, Jesus Christ was delivered for our offenses. This is that Jesus who is our Lord. You see it? Who? 
But he also accomplished something. He accomplished it by an act of God who was delivered 